0: So
1: we're on uh, issue 2.1, and often, for some reason, the night before, whenever, the night before I speak, I often dream uh, about something bad happening. Um, last time I taught in Sunday school, you might remember, uh, in, the, in the Discovering God Hour, I, I dreamed that everybody was watching a Tigers game on somebody's phone while I was teaching, and it made me so mad I just left, <laughs> I just walked out. And um, last night, for some reason, I dreamed that I had prepared a lesson out of a different discovery book, and so I came in and I was trying to go over the lesson, and you guys were all looking at me, wondering what I was doing, so um, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, I a lot of weird dreams right before, I, right before I'm going to leave the discuss or teach. Well, we're talking about uh, the gospel today, which um, hopefully is a favorite subject of yours, um, it's a favorite subject of mine. The gospel is something uh, that should never get old to us, should it? Um, we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, but the gospel is something that we, um, that you'll, this is something you'll hear me say <coughs> very often, the gospel is something that we never move on from. Uh, we, never, we never look at the gospel as something that we simply believe in and then we move on to bigger and better things. Uh, The Gospel is at the heart of our daily living as Christians, and continuing to trust in the promises of the Gospel is what sustains us and what keeps us going, what gives us hope, what gives us purpose, uh, and which assures us every day that no matter what we've done, uh, we are right with God, because at the end of the day, our rightness with God is dependent on Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, and not on our own cleaning ourselves up and making ourselves acceptable to God. That's what makes the gospel good news, because if you're like me, and you are, you're really lousy at making yourself good to God, really lousy at it. But thank goodness, thank God for Jesus who takes it out of our hands. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit this, uh, this evening about the gospel. Last week we didn't spend. Uh, anybody need pens? I've uh, it people have come since. Linda? I won't throw it. Not that no, I think you can't catch, but. No, I can't. <laughs> last thing I need is to bit somebody in the eye. <laughs> but we have a medical kit now.
0: <laughs> so,
1: you know, if I hit you in the eye, we could hit you with the defibrillator
0: and. <laughs> you'd, be
1: sure you'd be just right. <laughs>
0: no
1: thank you. <laughs> That's why I walked it over. Um, last week we didn't spend a lot of time um, with the questions or with the sound bites. This week we're going to spend a lot of time with it. So you've got uh, lots of chances to provide some input. Let's start. Uh, let's start with the sound bites. Let's look at the first one. And just as a reminder, uh, sound bites are quotes in your book that may or may not be accurate, or they may be partially accurate and partially inaccurate. So I want to get your thoughts. So you got to remember. For this to work, you actually have to talk. You can't just look at me, because that would be boring. (laughs) What matters, first one, what matters is that you believe, not what you believe in. We must all have faith in something. Somebody tell me what you think about that. That's a scary statement. Why is that a scary statement, Miriam? Okay.
2: <coughs>
1: okay. Good. You
2: don't want to have faith.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
2: Or follow him. Right.
1: Okay. Good. Anyone else have a, uh, what would you say to somebody that said that to you? It's very liberal. Okay. Paul says it's very liberal. That's probably, that's probably very true. There are, uh, there are plenty of, of churches out there that would probably say something very similar to that. Um, you know, one church that <coughs> made, made a whole living out of that would be the Unitarian Church. <coughs> Anyone else have anything that you would say to a person that said that? Go ahead. I would think that that person
2: is fighting against God,
1: calling them. Okay. Okay. Say so the person is fighting against God, working in their heart, maybe calling them. Okay.
3: Erica?
2: What gives value to your faith is what you're putting your faith in. So the okay. object of your faith is really what makes your faith count for something. Okay, that's
1: a, good, that's a good distinction, isn't it? What's, what's important isn't your faith, it's what your faith is in. You can have all the faith in the world and have it in the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And if you have a <coughs> ton of faith in the wrong thing, it's still going to let you down. Isn't it? All right. Good. What, ab- what about the the next one? I don't believe a good God would send anyone to hell forever. <coughs> that's a pretty popular one, isn't
3: it? I think that statement makes sense is a good God is a gene in a bottle. Okay. He does what I tell him to. do. Okay.
1: But since <coughs> that's not who God is. Okay. All right. So so Dale is saying uh, it the conception of of God might be skewed. <laughs> okay. What else? Anyone else have anything you'd say to that? It'd
2: be nice if you could believe that, you know. Mm-hmm. You'd feel like people that you knew that weren't really safe. Right. You know.
3: So it would be a comforting thought <coughs> to have that thought. Okay. But is it, a, is it a real a real thought? No. No, okay. sorry, no but I'm just saying that people that do think that way and it's a Right. Right. I think it's a cop-out. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's people that are afraid to face anything that might be true than what we say or what Christians say that they want to bring up that argument that if your God is so loving mm-hmm. that he couldn't do that, that they don't want to believe that if mm-hmm. God did not love you so much that he would. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Mitch? The statement,
4: it could be true, if you substituted for the word anyone, a good man, hmm. uh, God, a good God wouldn't send a good man to you hell know,
1: forever. Okay.
2: Be inconsistent. Okay. But if the problem isn't God's goodness, is who's the anyone there? Okay. Okay. I would argue that God doesn't send anybody to hell, but we <coughs> don't choose God, that we almost choose ourselves to be there.
1: Okay. Okay, what else? What else would you say? Read the Bible. <laughs> okay. Read the Bible. <laughs> the Bible talks about hell a lot, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's funny that this soundbite was brought up because Eric and I were coming back, uh, were driving just uh, just Saturday, just this past Saturday, and we were listening to a message in the car, and it was that the, the title was Would a Good Loving God send people to Hell?" And uh, one of the one of the main points, which and this is something that you have you guys have all, have already brought up, but one of the main points that that speaker made was that is that we don't get to define what good is, because <coughs> hidden in that is is the presupposition or 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 the belief that that God can't be good and send people to hell because we define what we think a good God would do, and then we ask God to measure up to that. So I decide, who, I decide what I want God to be, and then once I've decided what he should be, then I, say, then I decide whether he actually lives up to that or not. And a lot of people do that. They say, they don't, they don't put themselves under God and say, what has God revealed to me about himself? They say, what, what, what is my conception of what God should be? And then let's see if he lives up to it. So. Is God good? Yes. But then God is also just, isn't he? That's an attribute of God. And we know from the scriptures that God's wrath, the Bible says that God's wrath abides on those who will not believe. And there is sin that separates us from God. And for a person who believes that God isn't good, we have to ask ourselves one other question about that goodness, and that's the fact of looking at the cross. God doesn't just God doesn't just look at us and say, I hope it works out. No greater love has been demonstrated in the history of time than God giving himself on the cross for people who are actively rebelling against him. So those are all things that we have to, to think about when, we're, when we think about the concept of hell, and it's not a, it is not a popular concept, and it's one that, we're, that a lot of people refuse to believe in, like Jim said, because it's, it's, it's easier, <laughs> and it makes one feel better. Uh, but it is reality. <coughs> uh, third one, no matter what you do in life, you will go to heaven if you believe in Jesus.
2: What do you think about that one? If you believe in
1: Jesus, there's going to be a lot of things in life you want not to be wanting to. Okay. If you truly believe in Jesus. Okay. Alright, what else? What else would you say to that? Let me ask. It, let me ask this: Is it is that statement all wrong, all right, say, partially? Yeah, part
4: of the conversation, what, what, where this came up and how it was presented, or in okay. what manner it was it was asked.
1: Okay. So how would you nuance it? How would you would you talk about that statement? What's right and what's wrong
4: about the statement? Uh, well, could there be could be wrong. nothing about repentance in there. Okay. But you, again, you'd have to take it from the person that's asking or the person that's making the statement whether or not you're having a biblical discussion or a person off the street. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, trying to throw something
2: in your face. Right. Okay. Erica. Um. Some people <coughs> believe that Jesus was a person who lived, and somebody else believes that he came to earth and died for our sins to save us um, from ourselves. And there's a big difference in what that belief could mean. Okay. Um. And I think that's one of the biggest.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point too. There's a. Uh,
2: find that believe means right, to that person. Right.
1: Right. Are we talking about knowing about Jesus? Or are we talking about believing and trusting in Jesus? What about the people who believe and trust in Jesus, but they're, you know, for their, they go for you know, 30, 40 years, and they, they said at one time they believed in Jesus, but there, there was no, never seems to be any change? What about that person? <coughs> what did we talk about last week? What's an evidence of conversion? change of direction. Okay. A changed life, a change of direction. So we can, we can ap- take this statement and appeal to the, the parable that Jesus taught of the sower where the seed falls on different kinds of ground. And in some, some cases, that seed falls on ground and it seems to grow right up, doesn't it? And then the seed hits uh, the, the the soil is shallow and it hits rock, or it gets uh, tangled up in the growth around it and, it and it's killed. We'll talk. We'll we'll keep talking about that when we talk about the case study. <coughs> so um, I think you guys are recognizing as as I and I think I agree with you that uh, you know what what Paul was saying is it does depend on the context of the person uh, that's making that statement. You know what angle they're coming at. Uh, but we do know, because <coughs> there's a lot of people who are are, tru- who, are who are depending on a genuine uh, a general knowledge of Jesus to get them through. Um, and there's you know movie stars and rappers and they got songs about Jesus and they talk about Jesus. And one has to ask: Is that faith? And is it accompanied by repentance? And is there a changed life? <laughs> All right, who would be willing to read the case study for us? Anybody, uh, any readers in here? <coughs> <coughs> Your husband will nod. Oh, oh, no, I'm a horrible reader.
2: <laughs> 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 Linda, you want to take I a crack at I it? I can't, I won't have my glasses.
1: Okay. Well, you don't, have to, you don't have to read it then. I'll read it. All right.
3: (laughs) Oh, gotcha. This better not be one of those kids making prank calls again. You say to yourself as you roll over and reach for the phone, Hi, Megan, it's Judy. Sorry to call in the middle of the night, but I really need someone to talk to. I just found out that my best friend from that home factory was killed in a car accident. You're the first person I thought of. You've worked with Judy for a few years, and you've shared a few brief spiritual conversations together. Judy definitely believes in God, and has has since she was a little girl. She grew up going to church every Sunday with her parents and (coughs) has tried to lead a good, moral life. She's never been to jail, taken drugs, or stolen anything. Everyone at work thinks she's a great person, and you consider her a close friend. She even volunteers one weekend a month at a shelter for battered wives, and each summer helps run a week-long camp for low-income children. I know we've talked about spiritual things in the past, but I haven't been able to sleep tonight because I'm so unsure. Judy says almost frantically. What would have happened if I had been in that car? What about Becky? Is she in heaven now? How can I know if I've been good enough to get into heaven? Judy is obviously very shaken and looking for answers. What would you share with her?
1: Okay. So, seriously, this kind of stuff. This kind of stuff really happens. <coughs> How would you talk to her? How would you answer some of the questions that she raises? How would you approach it? Um, she's just had a big trauma, big loss.
3: To
0: my wife, she's <laughs> they call me the I. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: That was
0: helpful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> First, you'd
2: have to pray and ask God to give you the guidance mm help this person. Okay.
1: okay, and we've all had to do that, haven't we? Where somebody <coughs> asks you a very hard question and you're just praying, please help me know what to say to this person. Alright, and then what would you... So you've prayed, what What are the words that are going to come out of your mouth now? Give
3: me the words to give comfort. <laughs>
1: okay. Then what are you going to say?
4: I think we're just being direct ourselves, and I, I, you know, I don't know if I'd be as direct as I should be with Judy, but um, we don't know, Becky. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I, I would hope that I would be direct enough to give Judy the gospel, you know, mm-hmm. directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a good person, I mean, I
3: think we know where it's going. Being a good person is not good enough. Maybe Judy has accepted Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not talking about it right now, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay. One of, the, one of the things Dale said, you, you know, we, we think you were implying, was being careful about, you know, her asking about her friend. And um, maybe the not best way to approach that would, would be to make some kind of judgment uh, on her friend, not, not knowing all the details of, of it, um, but really using it as an opportunity to give her the gospel. Anything else that I, any, that you would add to what Dale said? I think just uh, <clears throat> I think using it as an opportunity. You, you know, one of the one of the things that we we've heard several times that the Book of Ecclesiastes says is that it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding because a funeral causes you to ponder your life and. It does that for you know funerals and experiencing death uh, bring questions up in people's minds all the time, don't they? And uh, this is a perfect opportunity to to ask the question, what about you? Well,
3: it's like when they say you have to be down to look up, and that's when you're at your lowest point in your life. Mm-hmm. Is when something tragic happened. Right. We don't always know what person's salvation is. You don't. As sitting next to each one of us, God has the ultimate decision as we can't say. But yeah. we have a to say to the friend is a loving and trusting God. Right. And then we put our faith in God. And we can't say we share, was it Cheryl yeah. it is, but
1: we know that we have a loving God. Yeah. And that gives an opportunity to share the gospel. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a, a great way of approaching it. I don't know don't know about Cheryl but I know that God uh, has has shown love to you, and you need to respond to the message of the gospel. Yeah, and <clears throat> we won't read uh, we won't read the all the way through the second case study, but it's basically talking about a guy who whose son has leukemia, and uh, he ends up coming to the Lord, and um, you know uh, makes a profession of faith. And then his son's leukemia goes into remission very quickly, and all of a sudden it's like none of it ever happened, and you're wondering what's going on. Um, what,
3: what would you what would would you say about something like that? I think we've all been there. Uh-huh. I think we've all mm-hmm. had times where tragic tragic things happen or tragedy, and um, you want some reassurance. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you get more gunk hold than you were the week before. Mm-hmm. My father used to call them foxhole Christians, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, guys in the trenches, mm-hmm. and they're praying for peace throughout the night. And, you know, they make a declaration, <coughs> and, and then it wanes because something was answered. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the
1: seed wasn't so deep. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, probably a, a very common thing. One, one, one pastor I heard that refers to most Amer- He said most Americans' concept of God is a break glass in case of emergency kind of God. The
4: 9/11 God.
1: Yeah. Uh, we we really need you to get us out of this jam, and then when the jam is over, um, it's back to it's back to our old ways, and we've probably all experienced that too. Yeah, I see that a
2: lot where I work. <coughs> A lot of patients who come in, they're in horrible situations and they'll beg and beg and beg for the Bible. And then a few days later, once they start feeling better, they're throwing the Bible at Mm Yeah. So it's just, it's everywhere and people do it all the time. And maybe that's a little bit more enhanced, but it's it's a constant all the time. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, I had, my neighbor um, was going through a, a breakup in a relationship and I started meeting with him and doing a Bible study with him, and what I kept trying, you know, he kept talking about his girlfriend, and I kept saying, You have to come to Christ because you need that, not because that's going to fix this problem. Because I don't know that this problem is ever going to get fixed. <coughs> she may never come back to you, and it might be over. But as hard as that is, this is giving you an opportunity to see what your need is. And you need to come to Christ because you need it, not to fix the situation. And that's ultimately, I think, why, you know, he, he met with me two or three times. And then he realized his life was a lot easier without his girlfriend around. And he was pretty much done. Uh, and that, that happens, you know, obviously that happens frequently. So um, that's, why, that's why we've got to come back to what we were talking about when we were talking about conversion last week. Conversion has those elements of faith and repentance. And a lot of times we have a little bit of faith, not so much on the repentance side. Because there's no no repentance and turning from sin and turning to Christ, the change of direction. It's just breaking the glass because there's an emergency and I need you. (coughs) Well, let's talk a little bit then. Obviously... Um, these sound bites and these case studies are, are just w- helping us uh, see that we need to understand the gospel clearly, um, make sure we have a sharp understanding of it. So let me see if we can do this, let's have, um, let's have somebody read uh, Ephesians 2, 1-10, and uh, have a volunteer to read Ephesians 2, 1-10, and then a volunteer to read 1 Corinthians 15. John i think Ephesians, and what about the uh, 1 Corinthians 15? Erica? Okay. Go ahead, John.
4: As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And order that, in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, thank you. And Erica, can you
1: read your 15.
2: Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this <coughs> gospel you are saved, if you will firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance: that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures; that He was buried; that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures; and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve.
1: Okay. Thank you. So, we'll jump down to that first question there. Uh, did anyone that did anyone do their homework? Don't raise your hand. Uh, but did anyone do the lesson? And if you did. Did you? Did anybody do a count of how many times Christ is mentioned in these two passages? This is a good
2: question. Okay. Um, Probably not. But when you say Christ, does that include Jesus? Yeah. Christ,
1: and well, uh, unless unless we think God is referring to God the Father, like for instance in verse um, four, that's referring to that God there is referring to God the Father. So I'm thinking specifically of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. So. How many times uh, are you seeing Jesus mentioned through here?
2: Okay,
1: we've got a four and a five. Okay, I counted five
2: and... Are you counting Ephesians and Corinthians? Mm Yeah. I have
1: Okay. And then if you, so you've got six, and then if you count those uh, three he's in verses four and five, you come out with nine. So in just the space of the (coughs) three verses, It's being emphasized to us that that Jesus is at the heart of the gospel, (laughs) and that's like if there's one thing that you come away with remembering today, it's that Jesus is at the heart of the gospel. Uh, What part does he play in our salvation? According to let's start with Ephesians. What part does he play in salvation? It's a little bit tricky, maybe. But throw it out there anyway. <laughs>
2: Basically you were dead. Like you
1: could there was like no light in the really. Okay. Okay. And what else does what else does Jesus do for us in Ephesians? What role does he play? There's this if you notice the, the prepositions that are used before his name, it keeps talking about us being with Christ and being in Christ. And it's really talking about Jesus being our representative. Part of the good news of the gospel is that when it comes to how we relate to God, we don't relate to God based on our righteousness. We relate to God based on Jesus' reputation uh, representing us to God. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are, the Bible says, clothed with Christ's righteousness. We are united with Christ. And the blessings and the relationship that God has for Christ are also shared with us. And you can think about this, uh, maybe it will become a little bit clearer, you can think about this by contrasting it with the way the Bible says that we're in Adam. Adam being the first human being. And in Romans chapter 5, if you've got a second, you can actually turn there to Romans chapter 5. Let me pull that up here as well. It says in uh, verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that's talking about Adam, so as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then there's (coughs) a big kind of digression that uh, Paul, the writer, makes. And so skip down to verse 17. (coughs) for if because of one man's trespass death reigns through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ so we've got, we've got two representatives we've got our Adam as a, repre- as a representative and through Adam what do we get? we get sin and guilt and death and then when we're represented by Christ what do we get? righteousness, peace, life, blessing, a future. God's wrath does not abide on us because we are found in Christ. Christ is standing in our place, bearing the punishment that we deserve for our sin, and then also giving to us the righteousness that we should have. Crediting that righteousness to our account, as it were. So this is that's the idea behind all of these things with Christ, with Christ, in Christ Jesus. These are all the things that we have because Christ is our representative. All right, what, are the, what does Christ do for us in 1 Corinthians 15? <coughs> what part does he play in our salvation? It says in verse 3, yep, okay, his, his death, burial, and resurrection hang the penalty for sin, and then rising again and conquering death. So, That's the role that, that Christ is playing in our salvation. Okay, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, how does Paul describe life before salvation? Susan started touching on this. That so we
2: were basically dead to God obedience. Okay. Uh, Alright,
1: so in verse 1 it says we are dead in our transgressions and sins. How does it describe us in verse 2? What does it say we did? We
2: Follow the ways of this world. Okay,
1: we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is just another way of referring to Satan. In fact, it Satan is named later on in chapter 5 in verse and in, in chapters 5 and 6 of Ephesians. What does it say we did? We did our life was like before salvation in verse 3.
2: <coughs> I'm just Okay.
1: We're gratifying a sinful nature. Basically what it's saying is a sinful nature is we're rotten to the core. Mm -hmm. We are absolutely rotten to the core. And so we spend our lives trying to pursue (coughs) the the, the worldliness, um, which is called the ways of the world, and the sinful nature. and says later on in verse, uh, verse 3 that we were, by nature, objects of wrath. Okay, that's, that's a hard one to take. That means that my kids, cute little angels, so well behaved, <laughs> obedient, never talking back, no. But my, my, my cute little babies, when they're born, are by nature objects of wrath. They're rotten to the core. And they haven't had a chance to learn it and to express it yet, but you only have to give them a few months. <laughs> and they'll get there. What's that? Or at night. <laughs> or at night. <laughs> 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 um, that is, th- this, these verses we often use to, de- to describe the fact that all human beings apart from Christ are spiritually dead. We are capable of doing good things. And there's lots of people in the world that are capable of doing good things. And before you came to Christ, you were capable of doing good things. You were, you're, you didn't, everything you did wasn't completely horrible. You know, you're not chainsaw murderers or something, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, I'm sorry. <laughs> that shouldn't have been recorded. <laughs> um, but you're not, you aren't as bad as you could be. But when it comes to your heart, this is, a, this is not going to uh, be a popular message uh, to, to give to the kids today, but you aren't basically good. You aren't basically good and just the environment that you were in turned you back. Or you, f- you fall in with the wrong people or whatever circumstances that were out of your control have led you there. Now, certainly circumstances lead you a lot of places, but at the, but the, at the bottom line, every person in the world whether you're Mother Teresa or Charles Manson before God is in exactly the same boat, dead. Spiritually dead. No hope. Objects of wrath. All of us. This is why the gospel is such good news. All right. So what are some of the blessings? We've talked about this spiritual deadness. This is, this is terrible. What are some of the blessings that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. What has he done for us? What's that? We're alive. Okay. We're alive. So the gospel message (coughs) is something that brings about spiritual life in a dead person's heart. It It is a work of God. And notice, it is the work of God. It says that he made us alive. It, it takes a work of God to reach into a dead sinner's heart and turn the light on. And that's really what it is. It's turning the light on so that you believe. And so you ask the question, why did the light get turned on for me? Am I smarter than the people that the light has not been turned on for? Are you smarter than those people? Do you just get it and they didn't? No. God showed you grace. And has made you alive with Christ. And it says verse in verse five. It brings it up again. You've been it's by grace that you've been saved. Grace. Somebody define, give me your definition of grace. I'm not looking for the seminary definition. Just tell me what grace is. God's riches at
4: Christ's expense.
1: Okay. God's riches at Christ's expense. That is an acrostic. Anyone else have that, have a definition that you think of with grace?
2: How about a free gift we don't deserve?
1: Okay, a free gift we don't deserve. So even though we're spiritually dead in transgressions and sins and pursuing this direction that brings us death, destruction, and ultimately hell, God shows us grace in Christ. He makes us alive. He brings about the spiritual life in us. And it goes even so far as to say in verse 6, that that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So I'm not seated with Christ in heavenly places. (laughs) But it's as if you already are. Because God has this plan, and I'm getting uh, ahead of myself, but I can't help it. God has this plan for eternity. That means never stopping. That means for all eternity, God has plans to to bless you and show you the riches of his grace day, after day, after day, after day, after day, (coughs) without end. Is that not incredible? Is that not the most wonderful, fantastic thing that you have ever heard? And yet we grow dead to it because we've heard it so many times. So That's why I'm trying to rev you up again and say the gospel isn't something that you graduate from. It's something that's always at the forefront of your thinking to think, no matter what circumstances you are facing right now in your life that are difficult, or your struggles with sin, or whatever it may be, that you are already seated with Christ where God plans to show you grace day after day after day, or after day forever, and you don't deserve it. But he's going to do it anyway. That's grace. Sorry, I've got to preach in a little bit. there. <laughs> okay. Next question. What are two of God's purposes in salvation? In verses 7 and 10. Okay, I've already said one in verse 7. He's got a plan that extends farther than the little wisp-air breath of life that you have on this globe. He's got much bigger plans than that. They go much further than just now. So that's one of God's purposes in salvation. What what else? In verse 10. He's prepared good works for us to do. Okay, he's prepared good works for us to do. And it, I know it keeps coming up again and again. It came up last week in Paul's message, Repentance, Faith, and to Demonstrate their Repentance by Their Deeds. And it's come up this week again. We have all kinds of people who have claim at one time to have had some sort of salvation experience. But people that have really had the light turned on and that God has really worked about a change in their heart those people are going to do those good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. There's going to be evidence. And the evidence may not always be strong in some of us. It may not be as strong in in you as it is in me. But there are going to be evidences of the grace that God has shown. And God has already prepared the way for us in advance, things that he wants us to do as evidences of the grace that he has shown us. And of course, all of this is to bring who's the glory? God. See, any scheme of salvation that involves you and I working robs God of the glory that is ultimately His. And there are all kinds of things that people add to salvation to say what you have to do to be saved. What are some of the things that people will say that you have to do to be saved? Hail Mary speaking in
0: tongues
1: other the boy there I know that happens a lot too but not the kind you're talking about <laughs> you got the snakes too <laughs> <laughs> baptism mm. baptism's a big one mm. and of course there's there's all kinds there's all kinds of other things you know there's there are are religious schemes that will say that you, yes, you must believe in Christ, but yes, you have to do all of these things as well. And those things are ultimately meaningless because they're ineffective and they're misguided because God has done all of these things for his own glory. I mean, you want to talk about the overarching purpose of why everything is going on, It is amazing that God saved you, and it is amazing that God saved me, but if we stop with ourselves, we stop to the level too, too low. Because ultimately, the reason he has saved you and the reason he has saved me is because it brings him glory, and he deserves it. And he's going to have all these people that he's showing grace to generation after generation after generation extending infinitely into eternity. He's going to be doing that. Why? Because it magnifies his greatness. And that's what God is about. And that's what God deserves. And that's why we worship. That's why we do the feeble worship that we, that we do now. We're going we're to upgrade to worship 2.0 in eternity because we're going to worship without sin. And we're going to appreciate the God who has saved us in a way that even now as we talk about the gospel and we think about these things, we don't appreciate it. I don't appreciate it. I don't get it. But I'm going to get it someday. And God is going to be even seen as even more glorious to me then than he is now. All right. Let's... Uh, the three minutes that we have. Let me figure out where we want to skip, skip to. told you we'd never get out early again. Um, I think um, I think because these, quest- these discussion questions are going to take us a long time, let's just focus very briefly on number one and two point one six. Two point one six. according to the scripture what are the core elements of the gospel you you tell me based on what we've done last week and what we're doing what we've talked about this week about the gospel give me the core elements this
4: is to know and/ or be saved or do to be
1: saved yeah let's talk um, about. yeah
4: it's a uh, uh, one, to, to know that you are a sinner, that you okay. have sinned, okay. that you don't work your sin off, that it has to be forgiven, and not that there's a person that's was sent here to forgive you. Okay. So,
1: so what Paul has said is, is one, of the, one of the core elements of the gospel has to be sins. The gospel isn't good news unless you understand the bad news. Mm-hmm. And people have a very difficult time understanding the bad news or coming to grips with the fact that they are the problem. That the problems aren't everything that's going on around me. I'm the problem. The problem is inside me. The problem is my heart. So, you f- so a core element of the gospel is going to be sin. And then, what, what else did you say? We were talking about sin, and then what did you move on to? Oh, duh, that you have to be forgiven. Okay. That you have to be forgiven. It's so not something you can work on. Okay. So, we have to understand that another core element of the gospel is understanding that our sin, rightly, separates us from God. Because while He is love, He's also just, and pure, and holy. So our sin separates us from God. Okay? Then what? <laughs> What's the next step?
2: So we need to be reconciled
1: together. Okay. And, uh, separate. We've got sin. We're separated from God. We need to be reconciled to God. How does that happen? Again, how are we reconciled to God? What do we have to do? We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to respond in repentance and faith. And what does that do for us? What happens when we respond in repentance and faith? What does God do with our sin? (coughs) Okay, He washes it away. He forgives us. And He gives us, in Christ, a correct standing before God. We stand before God, righteous and holy, because of what Jesus has done. And our whole lives are working towards the fact of progressing in that holiness until the point where, as 1 John 2, I believe it says, We're going to be like him, because we're going to see him as he is. And that's what he's doing. Those good works are progressing. We're becoming more and more sanctified (coughs) and holy. And ultimately, believe it or not, looking around the room here, we're going to be perfect. And that's going to be great. All right. Anybody have any closing thoughts before we pray? Okay. Lord, thank you for letting us be together tonight. I pray that you'd help us each to follow Jesus this week. I pray that in Jesus'
0: name. Amen.